0: This is mint.
1: And I think everything I build is a bit like a mix. So family is really complicated to understand from the outside. Like each time you open a new door, there is something new.
0: So today I have the pleasure of speaking with Usama Ammar, he is the co-founder of The Family. They're a startup incubator that's based in Paris, Berlin, London, and now Brussels. And more recently, or in January of 2020, he'll be coming out with a book called Anyone Can Be an Entrepreneur. My first question that I want to ask you is what inspired you to write this book?
1: So hi, thank you, thank you to have me. Uh, like, The inspiration was to try to write something a bit mainstream. Um, I think we are somehow at the beginning of a startup backlash. Like any industry that is very fashionable, um, there is excess, and there is always a moment where the media, the press, the public in general, start to see Mm -hmm. everything in black. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to be able to write a book that teach a bit about what we think entrepreneurship is Mm. and to try to do it with a language that even your grandmother can understand um, without any contextual reference. Like I try to not talk too much about companies that are, um, that will not exist in 10 years. I really try to do the effort to be, if someone read this book in 20 years, he should be able to still understand what he's talking about. So it's really about our philosophy, why we think anyone can be an entrepreneur and, and it's very general public oriented.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is the style of it, is it through stories or are you giving like so advice, I, like steps? I, I,
1: I divided the book into two big parts. Uh, one, one part is like an essay, it's quite theoretical. And the other part is a series of portraits of entrepreneurs uh, that are anonymous, but tell a story they will never tell in public about mm. why they become entrepreneurs and mm. what drive what drive them. Where did they struggle and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what have you learned about yourself through the process of writing this book? Oh, uh,
1: first that I don't. I don't like to read myself. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny thing is that when you write an article, you reading yourself take five minutes, ten minutes because it's short. Yeah. Uh, when you write a book, each time you want to read yourself, you have four hours, and it's an horrible process because each time you do it, you find the book a little bit more lame. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like it's it's a real struggle. Um, so the other thing. With books is that uh, it's actually really really hard to not having the feeling of seeing things that are too general, uh, but in the same time you cannot be that specific because when it's really, this book. yeah it's really hard to read them. So so yeah so it's it's a, it's an interesting format. <laughs>
0: It's interesting. I I can tell that you're excited about this project.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I would not have done it. It's, a, yeah. it's like obviously you don't do it for the money with the book industry.
0: Yeah.
1: As the way the book industry works. So so yeah, it's uh, it was a and and also I think there is a there is a funny fo- funny thing to have your name on a book. It's it's an object, it's something you can offer. Yeah. Uh, people don't realize it, but like the simple fact of buying a book, it's already like you have. half read it. Like most of the book I buy, I don't really like read them. It's you, you like the process of buying the book, kind of reading it through it. It's it's enough to have the feeling that you read the book.
0: Interesting. And,
1: and so the fact that a little bit of your thinking become an object, and that object can be shared and spread, It's it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, well... You must have held the physical book for the first time. No, no not, not yet. Not yet?
1: No, not yet. No, no. It's, uh, the first version will be in December.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Um, can I ask you, so if there was a book that you have read from the beginning to the end multiple times, like backwards and forwards, like what book mm. would, would that be?
1: uh I, I i read i think way too much uh, the golden compass from philip interesting Coleman. yeah i think it, i don't have a favorite book i i, I always struggle with this thing where uh, like to define what is your favorite thing because it's it's too hard to me to say that but then so recently i realized that the question was which book did you read the most and like i can for every book i have a like a counter few books I read twice, very Mm -hmm. few, Uh, and there's only one book I read five times, and and it's this one. So, it's not my favorite book in the sense that it's not everything, but, but this story, I read it the first time when I was 17 years old, and I read it again when I was 21, and I read again when I was 25, and 28, and 23. And and the funny thing is that each like good books each time you read them it's a new book because yeah. you are not the same person so so you f- you see things you understand reference and I don't know I don't know why this book uh, speaks so much to me but and and it's funny huh? like I don't want to spoil anyone that did not read the Golden Compass but the last chapter if you don't cry at the last chapter of this book you are a and I was telling myself, like, yeah, I know what is going to happen. I'm not going to cry again. And I cried the fifth times, and 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 not small crying. It's it's like so intense. And it's funny. I have a few friends that read them, read these books a lot too. <laughs> they tell me the same. They say, like, my God, I hate these guys so much because it, it's interesting how how painful it is because it it ends the way it should end, but we are. Really not used to that because we love happy ending, and so you have this resentment against the author that is super super fierce. Um, and one day I was like uh, um, in a library where he was signing books, and I was so pissed off at him for this end that I didn't even want to get my book signed. <laughs> but still, it's 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 an amazing book and an amazing author. So. So, and, and it's funny because he just released a new book recently that is kind of a prequel to the story of, of Golden Compass. And it's crazy how you get excited about, <laughs> about these kind of things. Yeah, completely. Uh, uh, it's, it, like, and and that's what that's what makes great books great, is that they, they live inside you. And, and also, also there is something really funny with books is that... Uh, there is not such a thing as objectively reading a book that doesn't exist. Like when you read a book, you, your brain lie to you on a lot of things. You change world, you change situation. It, it's really hard to really remember a book the way it is. And it's actually part of the experience of reading a book. It's much harder with a movie because image self-imposed to you. Like if you have an image and, and a, a funny anecdote about that. A few years ago, I have a friend, she gave me a book. And she told me like, oh, you will see in this book, there is the most incredible erotic scene I ever read in a book. I was super excited. And so I read the whole book and I didn't find the the erotic scene. And then I was like giving the book, I was like, I'm sorry, I I missed it. Where where the fuck it is? And then she started to, to try to find it and go back and forth. And then she realized that it was a simple sentence. And then they made love. (laughs) <laughs> and, and there were nothing else in the book but in a memory it was like the most epic scene ever of uh, in, in a book and, and and that's that's what is powerful with book is that book I read through your imagination yeah so that's a very unique
0: interesting well are you must are you a fan of Game of Thrones yeah
1: yeah I'm, I I so I read the book before seeing the TV show yeah and, and I find people really harsh on the TV show, especially people that read the book.
0: Yeah.
1: But the but one thing I try to avoid, it's to evaluate books and TV shows in the same category. For me, Game of Thrones as a TV show is its own hard work. It's,
0: yeah.
1: okay, same story, same name, but that's that handier. here. It's a like, little bit like when people do fan, uh, fan work on Harry Potter, for example. Like
0: fan, the fan fiction? Fan fiction, Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Fan fiction are another book, yeah, and and we should see TV show based on book as fan fiction.
0: Interesting. They, they,
1: and, and 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 because it's impossible to put such a complicated book in a TV show. Like, and and by the way, I found the screenwriter of Game of Thrones really courageous because we made so many choices that are really hard to to assume and believe just did it. Yeah. Given and, the circumstances. Yeah, I try to also always be respectful to people that create. I mean, <laughs> people spend eight years of their life uh, doing something that was really complicated from a logistical perspective and with a lot of commitment, a lot of pressure. So I found that it's not perfect because nothing is perfect, but I, I found it super entertaining. Millions of people loved it, uh, hundreds of millions of people discovered Game of Thrones. And they will never have read the book because seriously, it's, a, it's really a weird book to read. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder how I did it. It's a kind of book I will never read twice, for example.
0: Interesting. It's, uh, it's, uh,
1: it's, it's so, so. Uh, it's a little bit like Lord of Rings.
0: Okay, but is it a book that you would recommend? Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. If you like fantasy, it's a really good fantasy book. But still, it's a kind of book that is so painful to read that. You don't you don't have like this enjoyment of experience of reading you okay you, yeah. you, going through it' it's, it's cool you did it like I think maybe like some people works for in the mountain yeah it's it's hard and when they are happy they did it and they're
0: stronger because they yeah, they're read stronger it.
1: yeah kind of that that's lot of things is a bit the same when, when you read 20 page of an obit thinking about himself you really wonder what the fuck <laughs> you are doing <laughs> but then you're like okay so so, and, and by the way, the funny thing is that this is why I think this kind of book creates such a commitment of fan. My theory is that if your user do a very high investment in something, then the only way to justify this investment is to become nerds. Uh, this is why you have nerds in Lord of Rings. This is why you have nerds in Game of Thrones. Yeah. But you don't have nerds in Golden Compass. Be- because the investment is low. And, and so if you spend, like, if like if you take Lord Offering, I think it took me two years to read this book, total. So if you spend two years of your life reading something, you have a huge incitation mm-hmm. of making it center of your life. Yeah. Because you have to justify to yourself how much energy you put that. Yeah. And I see that a lot with philosophy book. I noticed something that is very funny. There are certain books in philosophy that... Only people that read it like it. Like, for example, uh, Ego is a very good philosopher. It's a very good example of that. Mm. Like, I think 95% of the people that open a book from Ego, they read five pages and they stop. Mm. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, It doesn't have any sense. It's, it's complicated. And then you have the people reading that book. And my theory is that if you read that book, you have to spend such a amount of energy reading it, that then you are obliged to like it because you will be like, fuck, I just spent five years of my life to understand that truth is circular. And so I can have done that in five minutes and now I'm stuck. So now my only goal is to convince other people to read it because I need to justify this investment. And I think this fallacy of, of, uh, of, of certain books that are written by people that are really confused they create this kind of force they create this kind of people that become religious about the book.
0: And that's why Lord of
1: Rings, Game of Thrones, you have religious people, they read it like they read the bible. Interesting. And it's because somehow it's the only way to experience it for real, because if you read it like me, the skip page, you just want to get the plot, you want an American version of
0: it's like drama, they want yeah. like interesting. Exactly. Entertainment. And, and, and you
1: are like, why, why I just spent 20 pages on the Lannister plan that, <laughs> by the way, failed in the line? You know, we're like, this is demo from the specialty. So, so, yeah.
0: Then, can I ask you, what's, what do you find in like, Greek mythology, for example? Like, I yeah. know you, yeah. the name that you use for yourself a lot is Daedalion. 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 What it's, does that mean to you?
1: So it's a very personal story. Uh, my mom, she she's she's a lovely woman, she's the best woman on earth, of course. and she's a Lebanese mom, uh, but I think she's crazy. I I say it with all the love and and, and that's it. And so when I was a kid, um, she like I I she's a bit esoteric, and so every one of us uh, to protect us from evil. Uh, I'm laughing just telling this story. We receive three things. Uh, so we have a totem animal. So I'm a lion. Okay. Uh, we receive a symbol. I'm a labyrinthus. Um, and and we receive um, uh, a secret world. And we, my brother and sister, have been indicating these things where you have to believe in them. And and things like that. Uh, funny enough, no, none of the children never believed in them. So it's, I don't know why, only my sister is a bit esoteric. But my brothers and me, we like, totally flew over. But still, there's few things. I'm obsessed by lions. It's like, it's, it's, it's so much my totem animals that, that there's few jokes in the family environment about that. We call the school lion. Uh, we use, uh, like, Alice wrote a book uh, telling our story, and in this book, I'm a lion. I keep it as a joke. Uh, and Usama means lion. And that's why my first name is Usama, because she saw a lion when she was pregnant with me. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, thanks God she didn't see a duck. <laughs> <laughs> that will be more, less romantic. Uh, so, so, yeah. Uh, and, and, and so, my symbol is a labyrinthus. And funny enough, because she told me that as a kid, I started to be obsessed about labyrinth. So when I was a kid, I was drawing a lot of labyrinthus and I love to draw labyrinthus. And when I was eight years old, I was drawing a labyrinthus and a teacher looked at me and say, oh, you are a Dédal. It's a French word for Dédal. And I was like, what? Yeah, a Dédal, a labyrinth, it's come from Dédal. So the first guy that built a labyrinth I was like, who is this guy? And so I, I eight years old, went to library, started to read about the data. Started to be obsessed about him, read everything, um, his story, so he's basically seen in the Greek methodology as a, one that invented the labyrinth. but he was also a great inventor, kind of entrepreneur of mm-hmm. his time. Fast forward, 11 years old, I need to choose a name on IRC to connect online for the first time. And I type Daedalum. It is a Latin version of Daedalus. Uh, and I put it in Gerontif, Yum mm. because it's action. It's a, it means like in Latin, Gerontif is about being in the action. And so basically, that's how it became my name online. Uh, 22 years later, it's still my name online. And, and I really like this name. It's like, I really like this symbol of Labyrinthus. And you never find the center. Uh, and and I think everything I build is a bit like a maze. So family is really complicated to understand from the outside. Like each time you open a new door, there is something new. My personal life is a bit like that. Um, and and yeah, if my mom had an influence, that she put this fucking thing very deep in me. <laughs> and now, now I, I tried I to live really with it.
0: See that. I'm really excited about your podcast that goes by the same name, The Podcast. And one thing that you said on your first episode, Ashley, and when I listened to it, I was like, this is actually what I wanted to speak to you about. Uh, You said that your mind is like American and your heart is French and your belly is Japanese. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was so funny. (laughs) Can you tell me a bit more about that? Because I know that as like an individual, you've, you travel a lot you've lived in many different places like explain that aspect yeah. of yourself
1: so uh, I, w- I was born in lebanon uh, lebanon it's like it's very usual to have my kind of story so my i have one brother in brazil i have a sister in canada i have an uncle in russia i have a brother in Angola. Uh, i have a brother in lebanon uh, my, we lived in africa south america personally live in Hong Kong, San Francisco, London, Paris. So there there is few things that in my DNA are quite normal. Uh, First, when you're Lebanese, you feel insider, outsider everywhere. Even in your own country in Lebanon. I don't think I think only very few Lebanese really feel Lebanese in the sense of national thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now there is a revolution happening in Lebanon. It's so funny because I think It's the first time that Lebanese try to build something called Lebanon and not Shia or Sunnah or Jew or blah, blah, blah. Lebanon is such a fragmented society that defining your identity by just being Lebanese doesn't mean really something. And so if you take my family, uh, uh, five brother, one sister, they all have children. Uh, This summer we were at a table. uh, I I was with a friend and we were at a table all together. They were like cluster of language speaking because I have some niece that speak Portuguese, English, and Arabic. I have a nephew that speak uh, Spanish, uh, Arabic, and English. So, like, you had like multiple cluster of people that need to use language as a bridge. Yeah. And so, basically, at this table, there were six or seven language speaking. And my friend was like totally lost. Like, was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening here. And, and the funny thing is that for us, it's very natural. As a constant outsider, you are used to change country very fast. You are used to go wherever you need, whenever you need. And you have a bit this thing in your mind that if things go wrong, you just leave. <laughs> like constant yeah. nomad. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so this Gipsy thing is, is very mighty. And the funny thing is that one day I realized that my identity was a chosen identity because I choose to be certain thing on certain things in my life. Uh, I think my love life is very French. I like it. I mean, I think if French can teach something to the world is how to live a very beautiful love life and and full of passion and drama and ups and downs and and like that. Uh, My mind is American because I found them very efficient in business and thinking American business It's the most natural thing I can do. Uh, my Billy is Japanese because there is no more serious people about eating than Japanese. And of course, as a Japanese, I love a lot of different food than Japanese. Like, if you go in Japan one day, I don't know if you ever went in Japan, but the best pizza in the world is in Japan. Uh, the best pasta in the world are in Japan. The best French food in the world is in Japan.
0: But the chefs are Japanese?
1: No, most of the time, what happens is that it's a Japanese chef that live in the country for years and they come back so that's like for example the best pizza in tokyo it's a japanese guy that lived in roma for 10 years then he came back and started to do pizza or it's french chef or whatever that go there and they have apprentices that do a way in a way that they will never do themselves because in japanese culture you have this thing where you become a specialist at something Mm -hmm. and you do it again and again and again and again and again for years so of course when you do pizza for 30 years and each pizza should be perfect the probability that you end up doing really good pizza is high. So, so so, some culture like that. And so for me, building my identity is about trying to take the best wherever I can. And the other thing I learned is that each time you learn a new language, each time, and I'm not really good at learning language. I, I'm in a family, like my oldest brother speaks 12 language. So I'm in, I'm in a family where people get it fast. My, my oldest brother went to China for six months and he speaks perfectly Chinese. So it's insane. Yeah. Like, but, but the funny thing is that one day my brother told me that each time you learn a new language, it's like putting the windows in the house. It, it brings you more light. Because even language structurates your view of reality. And so you, if you learn that, if, even if you speak them super bad, it doesn't really matter. What matter is that it will change your brain structure around certain problem.
0: Mm-hmm. You,
1: you will open new perspective. You see, and so this is why each time I travel, I like to learn basic things, basic sentence, and try to understand specificity, because it show you that things that you found normal are not universally normal, and that's great, mm-hmm. and because it force you to face, it. and so for example th- that's why i love to learn about embarrassing things in culture like what embarrass people you know it's like it's one of my obsessions when i travel it's try to understand how can i embarrass you Interesting. because there's a kind of thing that embarrass in certain culture are super normal in, in order and and it's so funny how our definition of good and bad is so external not internal it's not based in the fact that we feel good or bad like there is in certain culture various things that are obviously bad, and they embarrass no one. And, and and even if people feel bad, they don't recognize it because it's part of the tradition. Um, for example, in Lebanon, uh, the respect of elder. Every country that had a bit of Arabic culture have this bullshit. Like it's like every archaic society have this thing.
0: In like, Asia in, as yeah, well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have to respect. Your Nobody thinks that respecting elder is not good. I mean, you should respect everyone, but you should also respect younger and respect people of the same age. Because the funny thing with respect elder is that it's not about respect, it's about submission. Mm. And can you be submissive enough that even if elders do something that harm you or bad for you or not in your way, you will respect their opinion because they have this magical thing that is mean elder.
0: Mm-hmm. And when does it
1: actually start to be added? Mm-hmm. Like uh, as a nine years old, should you be a tyrant for the six-year-old <laughs> <laughs> because you have three years old more on Earth. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And and the funny thing is that this kind of thing are integrate in culture and we don't we don't see how much they harm us on a daily basis. They impeach people to do whatever they should do, they they put people <laughs> with a certain constraint where they not think and 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 the funny thing is that most of the time this kind of thing, they are in culture because of language. In most society where you respect your elder, you have certain words, mm-hmm. certain way of speaking that, that impose this idea to you. So if you go in society where it's less like that, then you even change the way you speak your own language. Like uh, if you learn English, you don't speak French the same way. Uh, and and I, I love how people, one of the most stupid thing I love That's very big in France. It's like people tell you, yeah, this word is not French, it's English. Yeah, like weekend, no kidding. (laughs) And actually, language of the time loves to take words from others. And because when we take a word, we don't only take the word, we take also all the culture that comes with it. Right. The the very simple reason that French use weekend as a word to describe weekend, it's because it was so far from French culture only a, um, an English word can describe it. Because in the French culture, working every day was something that was very prevalent until the 18th century. And so they had to import that concept. The same way we, we, we say internet or things like that, because it comes from a place where it doesn't come only with the world, it comes with everything. And so if you are very open and very freed with your identity, you, you can really cherry pick the best in this world and and build who you are the secret battle of this world is that some people wants to be really singular and to become really singular you need to access a lot of different culture to be the best version of yourself Mm. and some people want to really conform Mm. and and there is this constant battle in society between the people that wants to be singular and people that want to conform and the people that want to conform they hate that they hate the openness They hate that you bring from somewhere else because it's not them. But nothing is yours, actually. Especially what comes from where you are. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time, what, what, when you, what you take from what you are, where you are, it's not by choice. It's just, like, it's I love hummus. Uh, there is a high probability that if I was not born Lebanon, I would not like it. <laughs> so, so, so very, it, it helps you define a perspective about who you are.
0: Interesting. Well, I'd love to know how you would see that in the context of startups as well. Like um, when I was younger, I lived in Bangalore. And whenever I would tell people I live in Bangalore, people would say Bangladesh. Like they had no idea where it is. And then I would describe it as it's like the Silicon Valley of India. But then now that I think of it, like I don't think that's a compliment. Well, it is, but it's also, it, it helps people understand, oh, okay. Okay, that's pretty cool. Like it it's like somewhere important. But it help it loses like the, the individual context of the place, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, it's like that, that trade-off is quite classical. I, I don't think it's a big deal. I think what is a big deal is at which step do you stop. So the way I see that is like you can see your stairs. First stair, it's about making people interested. Yeah, it's Silicon Valley of India. Okay, does people stop here or do they want to go the second there like, oh why, why I never heard about it? Mm. Okay, never heard about it because actually we don't have that many global companies coming from there. It's very local focus on. And it's media. a very big market in India, yeah. it's a 1 billion people society with 17 language. We don't have time to go out.
0: Mm.
1: Wow, that's impressive. Okay. Bangladesh took like hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. <laughs> in the last 20 years because of computer science, because of outsourcing, and because we became basically the back end of infrastructure as So again, the question is, where's the curiosity of people stop? And we have a very short sighted curiosity in average. And, and I think if this kind of shortcut can help people build their curiosity and build their complexity mm. and view of the world is good. And so we should simplify, we should market. And I think it's better that a lot of people know it's all like in the valley of India than they don't know it. And then from that, a certain percentage will go to
0: the next step.
1: But if you don't have this first step, where you are just aware of it, in a way you can understand, then you will never go on the other stairs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think we have a tendency of putting too much room in front of people instead of building the stairs so they get there. Um, a little bit like how people want that kids read. It, it's so funny how people are judgmental about what you read. Everybody knows that if you want to read great things, you just need to read trash first. Like the most important thing with a kid is to make him like read. He likes comics, read comics. He likes whatever, because reading is a muscle. And when that when you have read all the comics in the world, you start to read something else. And 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 it's not a big deal which door you use to enter reading. For example, me, I started to to read basically on cereal box, uh, and, and that's how I, I learned to read as a kid, and I was obsessed about knowing every cereal box in the world. Thanks God, no one told me why you read this thing is so stupid. Read something else, because that was my real focus and interest at that time. And and I think we we kind of kills the excitation and desiring people by like cutting them off judgmentally. Like, oh yeah, you know nothing. Like wine taster are incredible to that. Like if you go in a French dinner, you always have a guy that know everything about wine. I think it's the best way to get everyone off of wine. <laughs> Seriously, it's it's so annoying. And, and because these people, they don't realize that the problem with expertise is that you can become expert of anything. Like if you and me, like the door close, and we are stuck in this room forever, with only Joe Biden picture uh, eating sandwich, and we spend one year looking at Joe Biden picture eating sandwich, we will be a very good expert about the intensity Joe Biden cut in the sandwich. And maybe you will become a mayonnaise, and I will be a mustard. And I will think that mustard uh, picture look better than and the mayonnaise one, and you will argue, and we can argue about that for years. But what we will forget when we will get back in the real world, when we will exit in one year, is that nobody gives a fuck. And and letting people understand why something is important is as important as the information itself. And that's why good marketing is important in startups. Mm. It's exactly the same thing. Marketing is not about taking something bad and making people think it's good. Mm. That's bad marketing. Good marketing is about taking something unknown and giving everyone the willingness to know more. Mm. And and it's a process. If you if you put a wall of everything you have to know uh, about something, then nobody did do it. Computer maker were incredible marketer because they made something that is that complicated as a computer, where you have infinite number of possibility in something everyone can understand and have at home. Uh, by the way, this is why when. Steve Jobs say one day everyone will have a computer at home. Everybody was like, what? No. Because nobody understand how it was possible that people would get something that complicated with so many infinite possibilities. And it's because they did a great marketing job. They step by step, build stairs so people can understand. And what is the reason of you buy a computer doesn't define how you will end up using a computer. Maybe you will buy a computer to do your accounting and then you will do creative design. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like very there, there is so many paths right, in life, and 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 so we should never be ashamed or scared to simplify.
0: Things. Mm-hmm. Well, if you could create the perfect like startup ecosystem and take the best aspects of different environments,
1: yeah, what would that be? Oh, uh, that's a good question. It, it's funny because I always try to think like that. Building yeah. That I can imagine. Uh, but the ingredient of the perfect ecosystem will be somehow you have American business sense and marketing sense because they have this magic power called storytelling. Mm. They, are, they are so good and so natural. And, and there is a good reason for that. They trained kids to storytell since inception. What friends can teach the world is, is this obsession for, for new and this obsession for better. The problem in France is that it it becomes too arrogant because we think that new and better should mean win. That's what Americans understand, is that better and new doesn't Mm. win. What win is best stories. So if you mix that together, then it starts to be really powerful because you can actually achieve really good product. I think Germany can teach us an incredible uh, KPI driven ecosystem to learn how to analyze data mm-hmm. to take better decisions. Uh, UK finance is top notch. For what I know, the Nordics country have a really good work life balance. There's there like Silicon Valley culture have been built around the work alcoholic culture of America. Yeah. The funny thing is that most of the time it's a lie. I know that people work hard in Silicon Valley, but they don't work as hard that we pretend to. A lot of people lie about how much they work there. Last time I was with a US investor that told me that he did a business trip in Paris on August 15th. And I was like, yeah, and you want to make me believe that. Of course, he knows that it's not a business trip on August 15th in Paris. Just that it's so shame to say that it's a technique <laughs> holiday. That build this narrative of being on a business trip, and I was like, yeah. And what did you do on your business trip? Oh, yeah, we had incredible food. Yeah, no kidding. But and the funny thing is that when I was in America, and I was telling people that I grew up in France, people was were always like, oh, uh, you have a you, you have 35 hour uh, holidays, blah blah blah. And I was like, yeah, and it's great. When was the last time your kid recognized you? And when I was telling that to people, people were becoming sad. Yes. No, oh, super sad. Really? fast. They were like, yeah, you're right. I wonder why I'm working. Like, it's so easy to destroy Americans around the work-alcoholic culture. Because if, like, sometimes I, I love to say that entrepreneurs are this genius that overwork for nothing. No, if you overwork, it's because you want to achieve things. And if you achieve things, to have great personal experience. And, 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 and of course... Like most of the incredible personal things I do, I never speak about them in public because I know I'm going to piss off people. Like if you work hard to make money, is to spend this money in a way that most of the people can only dream about. But it should be a good culture where we can tell people, look, we have a good work-life balance. We work what is smart work and, and, and sometimes it means working 100 hours a week, there's a week where I work 100 hours. And there is a week where I don't work, <laughs> because if I was working 100 hours a week all week all life, it would, it would mean nothing. And and so I think if you have these five elements in the ecosystem that I know the most, then you will have a perfect ecosystem. But the limit of this thinking is that the reason you have this work-alcoholic culture in the US it's because the ecosystem is thriving, so it creates aspiration. So it's really hard to import something, and the reason. Scandinavia have this work-life balance because they have high tax and no unicorn
0: Mm-mm-mm. if you have
1: unicorn and lower tax then this, this lifestyle will not be sustainable
0: yeah there's there's so many different elements i guess that come yeah. into play like culturally so- <sighs> socially education it's, complicated. it's very complicated but it's interesting to think about yeah. for sure yeah yeah for sure it's really interesting because you you started at a really young age as an entrepreneur at like 12 years old yeah. you launched your first web agency yeah I wanted to bring that back to an article that you wrote called No Passport Needed. Yeah. It's about the Internet Nation. Yeah. What is this concept, really? Could you describe it?
1: So so Internet Nation is an idea that in every country, there is a certain number of people that have certain characteristics that define the nation more than the national uh, identity. They speak English. Mm. Um, They buy online before buying offline. And they are ready to use anything built anywhere as soon as it's efficient. And because they look for two things, empowerment and efficiency, they are ready to give try to very experimental thing, if it can have an impact on their empowerment or the efficiency, or both. And I think there is a certain percentage of people in this internet nation in every country. Mm. So you have few products that can be built. Like I think the leader company of Internet Nation is Stripe. Mm.
0: Stripe is a
1: kind of provider of infrastructure for the Internet Nation. Mm. But outside Stripe, there is a lot and lot of companies that operate globally from one headquarter and not nobody mm. really knows where they are. Most of the time, people suppose that they are American, even if they are not. But because they operate at the Internet Nation, they, they are totally, totally scalable. Uh, Zenli in France, is a very good example of Internet Nation company. Uh, uh, most of video games are Internet Nation by nature. Yeah. Like, uh, if you look Fortnite, people play Fortnite everywhere. Yeah. It's, like, it's not like people care about being Chinese. Or yeah, or... that's
0: that's why, like, Video gamers, they'll stay up in the random hours of the morning because they, that means that they can play with people like
1: exactly. all over
0: the world. Yeah, exactly. One last question, but before that, I really want to thank you for taking this time to no, have no, this conversation. No. If you were to travel somewhere from your podcast, you mentioned that you, if you could stop work for two years you would just travel yeah but your definition of travel is kind of similar to how i see travel like it's not going on holiday and like but more in the sense of like you're exploring you're going with like an open mind an open book right yeah so where would you go if you could
1: so 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 i think if i had uh, again a few years free and i can again travel i would love to to go deeper in south america I have, I have one brother in Brazil that I'm very close to, and I spent all my summer in Brazil between 14 years old and 18 years old. And I think I, that that really built a lot of things in my identity to mm. Brazil that well. It's a, it's a country I love. But I never went in other country of South America. And recently I realized that Brazil was very different from others. Mm. So I would be very, very intrigued. And I have something very recent in my life is that I, cra- I'm, I crave for nature. That's something new. Mm. Um, I grew up in a city. I never felt any connection with nature. I, like most of my holidays, I've been urban all mm. the time. But recently, two years ago, I had um, a two-month vacation in Bali where I was basically swimming every day. And, and we were like going in the jungle, things like that. And I don't, and when I get back in Paris, I was not the same because I started to feel aggression from the city I never felt. So I don't know if it's because I'm getting old and yes. that's a that's a first sign of being old. But yeah, I would love to go in Patagonia. And this kind of cliche, because they are they are absolute natural beauty and yeah. and and it's part of the world. I don't know. Yeah, I I did this kind of thing in South East Asia, so I know. Quite well, Southeast Asia, um, North America. I did multiple road trips in the US and Canada, so I, I know pretty well. So, so this thing and last personal story. Somehow, at one point, I will need to go to Africa. Mm. Um, when I was a when I was a kid, and the way we left Africa uh, kind of traumatized me, and so since since kid, I'm super scared to go back and in sub-Saharan yeah. Africa, it's totally stupid. It's uh, it's just a bad memory. And and I have one of my best friend, Tonge, going to Africa all the time. He's African, and and I was like, I told him this year, I say, look, I don't know if I feel ready, but I feel that in the coming years I will feel ready, and I want to go back, and I want to go, of this fear that mm. is totally totally stupid Mm uh and so yeah so that's the two parts of the world i really want to explore